Welcome to the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. This is Steve Bruce Benson, the host of the podcast, and it is great to have you with us. Thank you so much for giving us the time to listen to this little podcast we're doing here in the basement of Columbine United Church. I'd like to thank Columbine United Church for making this space available to do podcasting, interviews, videos, all different kinds of things come out of our media room. So Columbine United Church hosts the podcast and makes it possible. So thank you, Columbine United Church. But you know, today I am not down here in the basement by myself. I have a special guest. Her name is Vanessa Johnson. And Vanessa, get this, is a death doula. I have been looking forward to this interview for a long time to talk about what exactly is a death doula and and how do we engage a death doula and the work that they do. So Vanessa, before we dive in, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? <laughs> sure. Hi, I'm Vanessa. Uh, I am an end-of-life doula. Uh, I live in the area in Littleton and used to be high school English teacher, but now I'm an end-of-life doula, death doula, uh, death companion, uh, exit coach. I've been called all sorts exit of things. Exit coach. Yes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that is so cool. An exit coach. So you live here in the area. How long have you lived in Littleton, Denver area? Uh, since 1998. Uh, before that was from Georgia. Yeah. yeah so you kind of there. so you're here local. That's uh-huh. cool. Good. All right. Let's dive in. What is a death doula exit coach? What is that? Sure. So uh, an end of life doula. The way I explain it is, uh, I am a non medical person who offers uh-huh. emotional, spiritual, and informational support for people at the end of life. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So um, is there a certification? Of pro- like I got on your website, I looked mm-hmm. around. Is there a st- certification? Boy, say that clearly. <laughs> that you have to go through to become a death doula? Do you just hang out a shingle that says I'm a death doula? What is, what is it? So not yet. I'll say it that way. No certification required yet, but that could change because it's an emerging profession. Right, so right. if that were to change, it would come from the End of Life Doula Council on uh-huh. the uh, National Hospice and Palliative Care Association. Association. Uh-huh. Um, but right now, uh, you just need to do a training program, which there are many, but some are better than others, of course. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I always recommend spending time volunteering with hospice as well. Right. So how did you get into being a deaf doula? How did you get into it? Sure. Um, well, as I mentioned, I used to be a high school English teacher. In 2015, I was looking for a new career, and I wanted something that would still be compassionate and serve the world in a way that, yeah. that was needed. And so a friend of a friend um, had was diagnosed with ALS, and mm-hmm. they were looking for an assistant, they mm-hmm. called it at the time. And mm-hmm. so once I told them that I didn't have any medical experience, but mm-hmm. if they were just looking for a compassionate companion, mm-hmm. I could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was with that family for two and a half years. Wow. And during that time, I heard about end-of-life doulas right. that provide companionship to those right. at end-of-life. And I thought, right. oh, that's what I've been doing. There's a name for wow. it. So then I took training with ANELDA, which is the International End-of-Life Doula Association. And say that again, ANELDA? Yeah, it's an acronym, I-N-E-L-D-A. International, so, say it again. International End of Life Doula Association. Okay, because it's really mm-hmm. cool. I mean, you heard of uh, birth doulas, or mm-hmm. that that's a very popular thing. Mm-hmm. And like in my ministry, about mm, fifteen years ago, I did so much death work that I called myself a death coach. And I used to say, "There's no other person who claims to be a death coach." I but I was doing so much death work. I said, mm-hmm. called myself a death coach. And that, then when I heard the term death doula, I said. Mm-hmm. 
you know what, maybe that's kind of what I'm doing. Yes. And so it's fascinating to see that it's a movement across. Mm -hmm. Is it around the globe or just the United States? Around the globe. I mean, I would say, so if we start with that word doula, D-O-U-L-A, that word actually comes from the ancient Greek, huh. and it means caregiver. Um, huh. You know, if we're going to be completely honest, it was the slave in the family that helped with caregiving. Uh -huh. So birth doulas in the early 80s kind of took that word and reclaimed doula to uh -huh. be a caregiver that supports someone who's giving birth. And so what we do as death doulas is the same, but at the other end of life, the other life milestone that all humans go through. Ah, cool. Yeah. So how did you get into You just were looking for it, looking for some, a way to be compassionate, and then mm -hmm. you kind of fell into it. I do did. you feel like, like you were called to this work, that you was like suddenly the universe was saying, you need to do this work. <laughs> yes, I do. Although, you know, at 52, it took me a long time to get here. But well, uh, the, <laughs> most of us don't figure out what we're going to grow up to do until we're 60-something. Right, so. exactly. So, yeah, I definitely feel called to this work. I do feel like it's a sacred space uh -huh. that I serve in, and uh -huh. I want to serve compassionately. Um, so, yeah, things just kind of evolved. And after I helped that first client in that way, it felt like something that um, – was needed and that was I was uniquely qualified for I mean I've always been comfortable with the uncomfortable right. and but how do I use that in right. the world right. um, you know when I was 16 my paternal grandmother before she passed away I was the only one that was kind of comfortable being in the room uh -huh. with her mm -hmm. and and talking mm -hmm. with her mm -hmm. and so how do I use that compassionate skill in a right. way that people need right. so um, there have always been people who served in this way for millennia but we don't live communally anymore. So now it's emerging as a profession. Yeah, cool. So how is a doula different than hospice? Mm -hmm. So first of all, uh, I'm outside the medical care system. Right. So, um, That's cool. Yeah, well, good and bad, right? Uh -huh. So um, the good part about it is that I'm not bound by like a caseload. You know, our hospice workers are often uh, overworked, understaffed, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And so they have limited amount of time with their patients. I don't have those rules on me, so I can spend as much time as as someone would need. Um, but but hospice is a benefit for everyone in this country, right? Because right. it came under the auspices of Medicare in the 80s. And so hospice... I did not know that. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. 1983, yeah. And so it's a free benefit for everyone in this country. I did not know that. Yeah. Palliative care, not so much, but hospice uh -huh. for sure. Huh. And so with hospice, you get a team. So uh, a CNA, a nurse, a doctor, of course, um, a chaplain, a social worker, and a volunteer. So if if someone is on palliative care or hospice, they should have all those people in place. Uh -huh. And as an end-of-life doula that's not in that system, I can fill the gaps wherever right. they may that might be. Um, my belief is that everyone can benefit from an end-of-life doula, but some people need me more than others. You know right. what I mean? No, I really agree with that because my experience is that um, hospice is – is only as good as the people who run it. Mm -hmm. There's some really good hospices, and there's other hospices who uh, are so pushed by their client load. Mm -hmm. As you said, they're understaffed, they're overworked, so mm -hmm. the quality of care is not there. Right. And a lot of families are left scrambling, what do I do with this medication? What do I do with this person who's dying right. that I love, that I care about? I don't know what. It's kind of foist upon them, mm -hmm. and they're left kind of like scrambling to try to figure out how do I manage the pain of my loved one they have this 
high-powered medication, but they don't know how to administer it or how right. how to deal with it. So right. I found in my own work as a pastor mm-hmm. death coach is that I've had to help people understand morphine and Ativan and all yeah. different types of drugs. So there, I think there really is a huge gap between, or there are gaps, a better mm-hmm. way than what you said, in what hospice can do. Mm-hmm. So, as you said, some are really good hospices. Mm-hmm. They do great work. Now, there's they're pushed too hard. There's too right. much going on. Yeah. So ha- when does somebody contact a, a death doula? Do they pay for it? Yes, it is an out-of-pocket expense because uh-huh. currently not covered by insurance or right. anything like that, which when I first started, I thought, well, gosh, we should be part of the hospice team. But the longer I'm in it, the more I see that it's beneficial right. to be independent and flexible, right. you know, to meet right. the families where they are. Um, so people can contact me at any time. I mean, honestly, I, I can help anybody prepare for a better death. But um, generally, people, when they receive a life-limiting diet, diagnosis is uh-huh. when they contact me. So when they're on palliative care or when they go on hospice care is when I am contacted. But I have the same problem as hospice does is that people wait too long mm-hmm. before they contact me. So, you know, my first client I saw for two and a half years, but other clients I've seen once. Right. You know, because right. it just depends on when they get me involved. So th- ideally, when should they get you get you involved? I mean, as you said, two years, but some, as you said, some people wait too long. Right. What's the ideal time for people to contact a death doula? I would say if they're on palliative care. A lot of people mm-hmm. aren't aware of palliative care, you know, and that... Can you dis- distinguish palliative care from hospice sure. care? So palliative care also focuses on comfort at the end of life, just like uh-huh. hospice care. But palliative care, you can also still pursue treatments. Oh. So that's the difference because hospice is generally reserved for those who are no longer pursuing treatments right. and seem to be within six months of the end of their life, which death still being the great mystery we don't always know right um but that's kind of the main difference okay so let's go back Mm -hmm. when should somebody be contacting a death doula like yourself so i would say after the diagnosis Mm -hmm. life-limiting diagnosis Mm -hmm. while you're on palliative care while you're on hospice care any of those times would be great um and also i'm i don't I don't. I want to encourage people to call a death doula anytime <laughs> because right. I can. I can provide assistance whenever people mm-hmm. call me. Uh, it's just we can establish a relationship uh, a lot better and a lot longer if I'm brought in earlier. Right. So if I'm brought in very, very, very near the end, there's only so much I can do. Right. Right. So you said something I think is interesting. What do you think makes for a good death? Mm. Uh, well, it depends on the person, right? It's uh-huh. it's an individual thing. Every single death is different. Every single person is different. So for me, what I try and do is empower people at the end of life because often our power is taken away. Our agency is taken away by the disease that we've been diagnosed with. And so we don't have the decisions uh, available to us that that maybe were before. So I think it's really important to empower people at the end of life. You know, what decisions can you still make? 
Um, do you want music playing around you? Do you right. want essential oil aromatherapy? Do you want someone right. to brush your hair or give you a hand massage? Do you want your pets on the bed? That kind of thing. Uh-huh. And also larger questions, you know, like um, uh, final disposition options. Here in Colorado, we have more than anybody in the world, you know, or medical aid and dying, VSAID, all those things. Um, making those decisions can be empowering. But a good death beyond the empowerment is what brings you peace. And that's different for everyone. And so my job is to figure out what is that for you? You know, um, it could be um, related to their religious belief system. Uh It could Uh be related to their family. It could be related to um, regrets or unfinished business that they want to talk to a neutral third party about that will compassionately listen to them. You know, I can do all those things. So my job is to figure out what does peace look like for this person and how can we better facilitate that? And, you know, one of my um, uh, things I have to work with people is get over their fear of dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the most common things I run up against. Some people have a lot of peace with dying, and other people are just terrified of dying. What do you do with people who are terrified of dying? How do you help them over their fear? Well, we talk about it. First of all, a lot, um, a lot of times people just want someone to listen, mm-hmm. right, compassionately, mm-hmm. non-judgmentally. So mm-hmm. I provide that first and foremost. And then beyond that, we really get into what is it about it that you're fearful of? Is it, you know, the fear of not being here for your loved ones, that kind of thing? Or is mm-hmm. it something in the afterlife that, that you believe that you're afraid of? Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times just that witnessing helps people. Uh, But if that's still a problem, you know, it takes one or two visits, which I don't always have the luxury of time with people. But I try and ask them about it. And if they say, well, you know, I I believe this will happen in the afterlife and I'm afraid of it, then I kind of direct the conversation to say, well, you're operating on faith that that's going to happen. We don't have any proof that of anything after death. So how would it feel to replace that fear with the opposite? You know, something uniquely wonderful might happen. We have no idea. So just to present options Mm -hmm. for changing perspectives Mm -hmm. um, and just see how that feels for people. Because a lot of times they're so fearful of even thinking about it that they don't um, consider other options that are possible as well. Right, right. Cool, that's great. Because, you know, sometimes I'm stuck within the religious tradition of Christianity, mm-hmm. and people think they have to confess their sins, they have to do all different kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. and that that'll give them over their fear of death. And sometimes, it's, you're right, it's just you got to sit and listen mm-hmm. to what people have to say that they're really afraid of. Right. Afraid of leaving a loved one behind, a spouse behind, what's going to happen to them, will they be taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. So you're right, that's great, listening to them. All right, I want to switch because there's two things that I want to talk about that I'm just... One, I've, uh, I've only had one experience with MAID, a medical assistant dying. Um, did a lot of research about it, but it was my first experience with it. But then the other thing I also want to talk about, is it voluntary uh, stopping of eating? What is that? Uh, voluntary stopping eating and drinking. Stopping yes. eating and drinking. So let's mm-hmm. talk about MAID first. Sure. So what's MAID? So MAID is medical aid in dying. It's currently legal in 10 states and District of Columbia, so uh, not everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is an option that's available to people who have a terminal diagnosis, and then they have to go through an eligibility process for that. And so like the 
podcast just previous to this, and listeners, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the uh, podcast immediately before this where I interview Linda Varis, the wife of Jeff Ferris. Jeff, a member of the church who passed away with Maid. She tells Jeff's story. But I want to push, kind of expand this. So someone who has a terminal illness within six months, what do they do if they find that terminal illness within six months? What do they do? Right. So first they would contact their physician and um. to start the process. And not every doctor uh, is on board with this. So even though it's a legal process in Colorado, um, people still might run into physicians who aren't in favor of it. And in that case, I'd direct them to Compassion and Choices, which uh-huh. is a nonprofit organization. Right. We, we just had Compassion mm-hmm. and Choices come here to speak to, oh, uh, to speak to the church. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, the process starts with getting two physicians to sign off on the fact that you are within six months of possibly dying, right? And so once you have those two signatures, uh, they also do other tests to make sure that, you know, you're not depressed and and there aren't mental issues going on at the same time. And so once that eligibility process is gone through, then it's a matter of picking up the medications and that kind of thing. And not every hospice uh, is in favor of this either. And so, yes. So even though it is technically legal, many hospices do not allow their staff to be in the room, uh, to assist patients with this at all. So you can see there's a gap there that end-of-life doulas could help with because especially sometimes if they're religiously affiliated they They don't want anything to do they don't want anything to do with it so i guess i never thought about that before not all hospices would be on on board with maid no so again people would have to flush that out before they get on board the hospice if they want the maid option right it this is important everybody for you to pay attention to because you never know you don't think you're ever going to be in this situation until you're in the situation, right. and then you're scrambling to try to figure out what to do. Well, then pay right. attention to this. Yeah. Okay, so then voluntary stopping eating and drinking. Let's mm-hmm. go down that path. Sure. Because, you know, I've often thought, I mentioned this to Vanessa before the interview, is that um, I've told my family, my wife especially, that if I ever have a diagnosis, I think of Alzheimer's. I think what Alzheimer's has done to families as far as destroying them financially, destroying the, the whole fabric of, of the family, losing the identity of the person. I don't want to put my family through that. So mm-hmm. I've often thought, you know, I'm just going to fast myself to death. And, and I didn't know that was a deal until I read your website and went, oh, my gosh, <laughs> th- this is organized. People actually do this. So tell us about that. Sure, absolutely. So voluntary stopping eating and drinking is not illegal in any state. Wow. So I'll say it that way. Um, wow. And uh, you can uh, get support for this. There's a great website that's vsedresources.com. And so people can go there. Vsed. V-S-E-D. V-S-E-D. Resources.com. And they're out of Washington. And they have great um, guides for this. And this, you know, people with Alzheimer's diagnosis are not eligible for MAID if their cognition has gone beyond Mm -hmm. a certain point. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, families could really have a lot of medical bills and just a lot of suffering because this disease can last for so long. Right. 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 Um, so voluntary stopping eating and drinking is an option for people. Um, it typically takes anywhere from three to 15 days. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it is not, it seems counterintuitive to us as healthy living beings that right. we wouldn't want to do that to someone as far as removing their nutrition. But the thing is, when people have a terminal diagnosis, their bodies are shutting down already, right? right? And so that's what we're dealing with. We're not necessarily dealing with somebody who's in the prime of life. These are people who have suffered. And for whatever reason, medical aid and dying is not the way to go. And so they might pursue V-SED, and it's really just the body shutting down naturally. And so it is not painful in the way that people would think because these systems are shutting down already. Right. You know what right. I mean? So, right. um, so yeah, it can be an option for families that are not qualified. Okay. For now let's go to the edge of sure. this. Let's go to the edge of this because, um, in my ministry, I have worked over the past 40 years with a lot of people who are suicidal mm-hmm. and I wrote a book called death uh, from damned to dignified about mm-hmm. the whole person who's contemplating suicide. We think of them as being a damned person. And I've tried to say, no, no, no. Some people who take their life are not damned to hell. They're embraced by the cosmos. They're embraced by God. And so we, I try to bring this, this whole concept of suicide to a different place. And one of the things that I've tried to say is that um, because of the laws around suicide, the actual death of a suicide, that's the tragedy because the person is absolutely alone. And they are uh, they, they're resigned to using violent ends, guns, knives, hanging, jumping from a bridge, driving a car into a, a, a bridge abutment. It's all violent stuff, shooting themselves. And I've often thought if there was another alternative for people to end their life. And, and I think when someone is young, of course you don't want them to end their life. Right. But if they're later on in life, like I had, just, I had one time a person in their um, mid to late 50s who came into me and said, Steve, I'm done. I've done all the doctor stuff. I've been in and out of psych hospitals. I've been on all the medications, all the treatment. I, I just got to tell you, I'm D-O-N-E. Do you think a voluntary ending of drinking or eating and drinking, is that an option for someone like this? What do you think is a death doula? Uh, yes, I think it is because I think people should be empowered to make their own decisions uh, uh-huh. regarding their end of life. Um, I think it's important to get everybody on board, though. To be uh-huh. very clear and their honest. Their family, when you yes. say everybody on board. Loved you see ones, everybody uh-huh. in their network of support, making sure that this is what they want. Um, being clear with their hospice, if that is something. What that, if they don't have a hospice? What if they're just, they want to just be done with life? That they. I would not encourage that because um, unattended deaths are immediately called out. An ambulance 911 has to right. be called, and it's basically a crime scene. So right. I, that's why I always encourage people to get on hospice at some point okay. so that they can avoid that whole situation. But if you have a team of people, and if I were to ever assist someone, I've done one VSED case, and it was with a team. And that's what I always encourage is have a team of doulas that uh-huh. are helping 
helping um, because um, it is actually a very compassionate way to go because, as I mentioned, things just shut down. And it's not painful in that way, but if they're on hospice, they can have those uh, morphine generally or or pain-reducing drugs um, that might accompany it. And so I would also do things as a doula, like make recordings of the person beforehand to say, you know, this is what I want. This is why I'm doing oh, that's it. That's a great idea. You know, Make a recording of the yes. person so they're, so they're, they're on tape, so to yes. speak. Yes. Yeah. So by day seven, if they're like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know, you can show them the, the videos and talk about it. Now, there's a certain amount of time that you can change your mind, you know, right. but then there's a certain amount of time that you can't. And so just to have people with that knowledge before they enter into something, I think really needs guidance and Uh assistance. You know, um, you don't have to, but it's easier if you do have somebody to guide you along that process and to let you know what's coming. Okay. So let me put the screws a little bit tighter. Sure. Because this is a situation that I worked in. Sure. All right. The person was done with life. Uh Uh-huh. They didn't have a terminal illness, so there was no hospice. Right. Uh, there was no family support. They were mm-hmm. literally alone, and they said, mm-hmm. Steve, I'm done. Right. And they said, am I going to go to hell if I do this? And I had to say, no, you're not going to go to hell. I said, the cosmos doesn't want you to end, end your life. But he said, I'm done. And I had to be careful mm-hmm. because I'm a mandatory reporter. If right. I think If someone tells me they're going to end their life and they tell me that you know when they're going to do it and how they're going to do it, the date, right. and I do a risk assessment, I am mm-hmm. legally mandated to keep them in my office until I can do a 911 call and have a police officer come and do an evaluation. Right. Which I always hate because it limits my ability to have an honest conversation. So right. are you a medical, are you a, um, a mandatory reporter? No. So I, uh, back to your earlier question about certification, right? Because right. there is no certification and then I don't have a license per se. There's uh-huh. no license that can be removed. And I'm not part of any kind of um, school or education or church or institution right. that would require that. So no, I'm just a compassionate listener for people. Wow. And so there's that. Um, as far as suicide, you know, uh, there are a lot of religious traditions that kind of weigh in on it. And so I try to be respectful of what people's beliefs are. Um, in my mind, suicide is an unfortunate option for healthy people. Uh-huh. And if you have a terminal diagnosis, that's a different category altogether. Um, if you are just done, like this person that yeah. you're talking about. If what they, do you do? What do you do as a death doula? Someone comes to you, like right. someone came to me and is like, Okay, I don't know what to do. I had no idea how to guide them. What would you do as a death doula? So I do talk to people about quality of life because Uh that's what it comes down to, right? Mm -hmm. If someone is 90 years old, all their friends have died, you know, maybe their children have died, you know, at that point, and it's a quality of life issue, Mm -hmm. then I talk to them about that and about what their, you know, um, hopes and dreams have been. A lot of research around dignity therapy, which is what I use when I uh, talk with people um, as a regular death doula in other contexts, it helps people come to terms with things if we look back over their life and talk about that. So I start there. If they're still just really determined and you know this is the only way forward, I might refer them to the Final Exit Network 
which is oh, not something that right. I do. So what's Final Exit Network? That's so, cool. Yeah, so they are a nonprofit organization that believes in self-deliverance. So that is something. Self-deliverance. That is something they do. I do not do that. Wow. But they what's do have. self-deliverance? So that would be the d- situation you're describing. Someone wow. that is really has, has lived their life, uh-huh. but has, for whatever reason, that's not tied to mental health issues. Uh-huh has gotten to that place where they're like, I'm just done. And so they help people with that, and so I would refer them out to that And what is the name of that organization? It's finalexitnetwork.org. Final, so. Finalexitnetwork.org. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Learning all kinds of new things today. <laughs> all right. Um, so I'm, I'm just completely taken by this whole conversation. I have to look into what it is to be a death doula because – I wonder if that's the next thing for me to to pay attention to in my own life and career. If somebody um, wants to reach out to you or reach out to a death doula, what do they do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Google search is always good. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, do, what do they Google? Death doula? Yeah, they could do that. Doula. I mean, my uh, business is Denver EOL doula, just because EOL was a little softer end of life than death, right? So uh-huh. some people are still not comfortable with just the word. Uh-huh. So describing what I do is sometimes difficult. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, a Google search. Um, I have my website, denvereoldoula.com. Uh, I also have a nonprofit organization, the Colorado End of Life collaborative we have a directory of 20 doulas across the state as well as 25 other related death care professionals so like grief counselors celebrants funeral providers estate planners that kind of thing so yeah that's the easiest way to get in touch with me I offer uh, one hour free consultations either in person or via zoom or over the phone or whatever Um, also if people feel called to this work like I would highly encourage you to look into this afterwards um, I offer a document that helps people with like a checklist of things they should do. The first thing being volunteer for hospice to find out if this is really what you want to do. And the second thing is to take a training program. And there are many, many out there. You know, friends, um, you would think that people who do death work are like macabre, boring, drab, how can they actually do this work? I got to tell you, Vanessa is, I wish I had a video of this, just full of energy and charisma. And like, I'm thinking, if I'm going to die, I want Vanessa sitting at my bedside. Thank you. That's very nice of you to this say. This has been the best interview, oh, Vanessa. Good. Oh, good. I'm really hopeful that this is helpful to you, listeners of the Cowboy Jesus podcast. Thank you, Vanessa, for joining me today. Uh, Friends, you can always catch my blog, Cowboy Jesus. You can find it at Steve's Cowboy Jesus at blogspot.com. I write about all things religious and spiritual and life in general, as well as we catch up with each other on Facebook, on X. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. So a lot of different ways we connect with one another. Again, thank you for joining us and listening to the Cowboy Jesus Podcast.